Welcome to this episode of the Medical Affairs Professional Society podcast series, Elevate. I'm your host, Garth Sundam, Communications Director at MAPS. And today we're talking about share of scientific voice with Mike Taylor, Head of Data Insights at Altmetric, and Carlos Aria, Data Scientist at Altmetric. This episode is sponsored by Altmetric. So, Mike, I have heard, of course, of share of scientific voice, as I think have have everyone in medical affairs. But all I know is that we would like people in the scientific community be community to be talking about us more. That's all I know of share of scientific voice. So, Mike, what is it, and where did it come from? Well, Garth, that that's the problem in a nutshell. How do we know who is talking about our research, about our products? Yep. What are they saying? Who are they saying it to? And how does that message get out there? You know, where do we, where, where should we publish our research? Where do we, where are the venues that are the most actively talking about and sharing the research? So I think you can involve um, digital sciences, uh, um, uh, experience or intervention with the idea of share of voice really goes back a couple of years. Um, and as I have said before, it was during a conversation with a medical affairs professional. And she was oh. talking to us, um, I think it was in the context of an event. She was explaining to us the difficulties of, of tracking um, the people who were doing research with the product that she was in. I'm not gonna mention names, I'm not gonna mention products or companies, um, but I, I would say that it was definitely her that was talking about some of the problems that folk in medical affairs have in terms of tracking um, tracking their research and understanding their, their influence downstream into the different stakeholder environments. And this little light bulb went on in my head and I realized that actually the data that we've got in Altmetric, which is um, data about where research and clinical trials are being shared in news or social media, um, policy documents, Twitter and so on, um, that was the data that she was looking for, but it just wasn't being surfaced in a way that would make sense to her um, or to, or to one of, any one of her colleagues. Um, so shortly after that meeting, I sat down with one of my former colleagues and we defined it a little bit. We went back to uh, this very, very nice person who had given us the idea and we, we bounced some ideas around. Um, this is going back almost two years now. Um, but in the process of that, we came up with these dashboards that offered her and other people the ability to um, select a number of products or, or different areas of research. We have two different flavors of share of voice, which I'm gonna come back to in a minute. Um, okay. And really simply just see, com compare them, benchmark them against each other. What's working, what's not working, what interventions work, what journals work, um, is there activity on Twitter? And then we started getting involved in trying to dissect that data Going beyond the numbers, you know, going beyond the numbers has been a, been a been a hallmark of the work that Carlos and I have been doing. This is very much driven by the experience of medical affairs professionals, clinicians, mm -hmm. and so on, trying to get a handle on how communication happens. So the idea of share of voice, the scientific share of voice, the social share of voice, these are ideas that came to us from medical affairs, but have found real resonance with the clinical community. Um, Carlos is part of the clinical community, Oh, was until recently. Um, and he knows a great deal about the importance of engaging with different stakeholder groups. 
Yes, well, thanks, Mike. Uh, yes, I think it's very important to um, to engage with stakeholders, and I have that experience most during my clinical academic career. Uh, so I've worked in, the, in the, over, before I joined Altmetric, I was working as part of a university in, and we were testing uh, wearable monitors to implement inside on patients. And this was all done before COVID. We're trying to find devices, testing accuracy, and trying to test their feasibility and implementation inside the hospital. And you constantly communicated with patients and nurses and uh, even the management. And that became absolutely crucial during COVID because we managed to translate to actually implement what we are researching in less than a month. Uh, and this was not possible if we didn't in conti continuously engage with all stakeholders that we are doing research in and we were involved in our research. Translating this to the post-publication um, well, I think it's even more important to see how, how your research is being used, how has it been imp in impacting policy and, in, in my case, clinical guidelines. Is your research actually making a change in clinical practice? And if not, why has it been not implemented yet? Because it is known that even ever, like, since publication, ever since a study gets published, it can take quite a few years to be actually implemented into a guideline and even well, same time or sometimes more to be actually used by clinicians and having a place that you can actually share this and you have like quickly, uh, quickly ever see and assess how your research is impacting the world and how is it being used both like at a short, uh, in a, during a short period, like how are people tweeting about it? Is it being talked about? Is it coming, is news mentioned it? All the stage up to uh, years uh, years gone past, and has it been implemented inside a policy document, for example, or been used in a patent? So I think that's been one of the things that the share of voice interested me the most because, like, being a clinical academic, you're like busy all the time, like both clinical, uh, both your clinical duties and all the research. And by the time you get published, you're already like knee deep into, into like 10 or 20 other projects. So you don't really have the time to dig into the data and see how your research has actually made an impact. So two things I want to dig in on. The first one is, you know, I think of SOSV and, you know, I imagine that th there would be some sort of metric and you'd say, oh, you know, you, starting out, you have 12% of the share of voice or whatever, and you did these things and oh, great, now you have 15% of the share of voice, you know, look at the impact that yep. your mental affairs actions have had. But you're saying, Carlos, that you could also use SOSV to demonstrate the real world impact of research M mike is 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 that true is that a is that a core um action of sosv or or is this sort of a subsidiary possible use you know looking at okay i did this research it's not just that it's getting talked about it's that it's being implemented in guidelines is is that really part of sosv increasingly so i think yes because if we think about this, the the you know you, you make the case very well that the idea of scientific share of voice is about ensuring that KULs HCPs are aware of the, the values of our products, that they are uh, researching them, that they're publishing them, and those published documents are receiving an audience in high-profile journals. Yeah, okay. But this is a starting point towards you know that endless march towards the hospital environment where 
you're hoping that the patient's getting the best treatment. And that's only ever going to be happening when the diagnosing physician is aware of the research. And that can only come about, well, that comes about through multiple ways. And, you know, actually we've known about the complexities of this for a very long time. The, um, in fact, since 1991, we've known that about the importance of publishing, researching, and it being covered in things like the mass media um, and in cover, because physicians read those sources. Yep. They get their information from multiple, multiple venues. And the, the, the great thing that we've seen with COVID is that it's got much more, uh, pe people are focused on this problem at a much grander scale because it grew so fast and became so important. As Carlos is saying, people are getting information from many venues and our challenge is to try and make all of that data simple or simpler so that folk who are in working in medical affairs can come to the same conclusion that they don't feel swamped with data because it's really easy to you know uh, Carlos and I we, we work with millions of lines of data every day it's easy for us to sort of deal with these things but you know the reality of the situation is that your your hard-pressed medical affairs person doesn't want to involve themselves in that but they do need to be able to see what's working what's not working they do need to be able to prepare their quarterly reports and say you know did this congress work or did that journal work or where's the next generation of KOLs coming from you know which journals is, does open access work all of these different questions i think are so important in terms of joining up that chain to the prescribing treating physician to that clinician in the hospital or, or sitting in front of the patient and to you know hope that they are as well informed as, as they should be okay you bring up the 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 second piece i wanted to dig in on is i've always thought of sosv as a tool you know primarily for a publications team that that would be you know, looking to measure the impact of the the studies that they're they're able to place. But mm. in addition to um, sort of looking at the volume of conversation and and really your share, you mentioned that you can see who is talking about this research. Could SOSV also be a tool for field medical teams looking to identify KOLs? to to interact with carlos what do you think is is this only i'm wondering if this is only a measurement tool or if this is a tool that has uses elsewhere in the medical affairs ecosystem you know potentially for looking at who we should be interacting with yes and i think that comes into separate so I've been talking about KOLs and then there's the digital opinion leaders. So mm -hmm. inside the share of voice, we have a bit of, um, well, not a bit, quite a lot, actually, uh, data on both. So we we can harness um, data from, from publications and try to find, for example, emergent KOLs that, for example, their first publication was only five years ago, but they have published like uh, quite a lot in the past years in a particular uh, field. Um, we can, and we can, use the other spectrum and we can identify digital opinion leaders that have, for example, been tweeting a lot about that particular research and they might be researchers themselves or not. 
there might be something that's just tagging a lot of research in that particular product or that particular field. Mm -hmm. um, and whenever possible, we use try and use machine learning capabilities to try and match both and see if we can identify a KOL that is actually also a digital opinion leader. Um, okay, so Mike, you started to bring up the post-COVID world, and it seems like the data explosion, I mean, there used to be one-on-one -on -one in person uh, MSL KOL interactions going on. And you know, the best maybe we would get out of that data would be um, you know, notes would be a, a, a little write-up. But now everything yeah. is is going online from congresses to social media interactions. That's a lot of data. That's got to be a challenge. Is that also an opportunity? Because now we can see it and we can crawl it and we can mine it. What, where are we at post-COVID with SOSB? It's great to see that the one-on-one -on -one, uh, relationships are coming back into into yeah. into um, into our into our work. Um, just last week, I spent two days at a conference in London, um, and being able to meet people who I'd only spoken to on on Zoom and Teams. The last two or three years uh, was an absolute delight. It's it's, it's um, it, it there's nothing can really replace the importance of that one-on-one -on -one relationship. You know when you can see the other person's reaction, where they can interrupt you. You know all of those things are so hard to do. But we have to think about the audience for for research and the appetite for people to use social media platforms to exchange information and to um, and to learn as well. It is very easy, I think, to get almost overwhelmed by some of the scale and the, and the heat of, um, of discourse on social media. One of the things that Carlos and I have been fascinated to find out as we've dug into, um, into like the sentiment and the, and the stakeholder groups that are working on on Twitter to exchange information is that the, where people are um, linking to research, it's a much more measured place to have a discussion. Mm -hmm. You know, if you want the heat, then don't look for the research because that's not where the heat is oh. um, with, the, with a, a couple of exceptionally interesting areas. So, you know, if you want heat, go and have a look at the research into the carbon footprint of cryptocurrency because there, <laughs> there is heat. And it's research-focused heat as well, which is very, very interesting. But that's that's to one side. In the biomedical sphere, discourse around research is very measured. It's very thoughtful. And the, the work that Carlos and I did, he mentioned the, the machine learning work that we did. What we're looking for is evidence that people are saying something positive about the research. So, for example, when they say, this is an excellent piece of research from world-class pharma, pharmaceutical, then, you know, if their background, if their Twitter bio says, I'm an oncologist at a, at a, a world-leading world leading oncology center, and I'm yeah. recommending this piece of work, it's a really important signal. And we find that when people are um, in that situation of being a consultant oncologist or an HCP, they get retweeted. People follow them. Patients follow them. Other clinicians follow them. They're not necessarily the same people you know. And I think this is really, really interesting that typically if you 
use a tool, uh, any any kind of tool, and you you say these are the KOLs in the field. Um, folk like yourself will go, but yeah, of course I know them all, right? I mean, they're they're the top ten. They're 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 sure. They're they're bare. You know, they're they're all these people. I I, I you know they come to congresses. They talk all the time. They're not necessarily the people that their research may be being shared. They may not be the KOLs who are sharing the research. That's uh, a different population. <clears throat> but they're still clinicians. There tend to be emerging KOLs. So they're people who are building a reputation, but they're more active. They're sort of native on, on, um, on social media. And they understand the importance of using social media to connect with broader communities. And we do see patient activity as well. So, you know, we do see, particularly with patient advocates, mm-hmm. um, you know, they will also get involved in sharing research and saying positive things. You know, f- so for example, I was um, I I came across a group of people who were long term survivors of um, non small cell lung cancer, um, and they were exchanging um, links to a clinical trial that had positive results. You know, yeah. for for example, third line treatment. Um, so you know, when we look at you know the audience. That these um, that these people can have, you know, they can run into the tens of tens of thousands. Um, I've found people in that space that have a million followers, um, and it's amazing to to think about the importance of those individual people and the the, the what they're doing to to power communications, to power to power links, and these are not isolated examples. They 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 happen over and over and over again. People have voices on social media and they use them. And as medical affairs professionals, we need to understand what that means and where their information is coming from and the importance of things like, you know, plain language summaries and things like that in, in terms of shaping the discourse of the future. So, so Carlos, are people using SOSV to measure the impact of specific tactics. And, and here's what I wonder, Mike, Mike brings up plain language summaries. And I'm wondering if I'm a medical affairs department or if I'm a, you know, if I'm a team within a medical affairs department and, you know, a publications team, and we say, okay, we haven't been doing plain language summaries. We're going to start with this publication doing a plain language summary. We wonder if we're going to have an uptick of share of scientific voice within patient communities. Is that a question that we can ask with SOSV? Yes, it can be. Uh, that, that's the short answer. So like Mike was saying, um, besides uh, capturing the data, we are also able to label it. So for example, if like getting back to what Mike said, if someone tweets about a particular a publication, and on that description, it says, I'm oncology on this uh, world, uh, well-known institution. We will capture that, that that person is an oncologist and that person shared uh, this paper. Um, and we can measure the followers. We can get all the data for it. As we can do for, for that example, an oncologist, we can do for patients or patient groups or advocates or societies. So we can basically harness net, natural language processing um, and build models around it to try and capture um, not only what they are sharing, but who they are as well. Um, Well, I I, I feel like we could go three hours as opposed to 20 20 minutes on this topic. 
But what, okay, this has helped me personally look below the headline of SOSV as a tool to basically blanket measure what percentage of the conversation we own to see how SOSV can look beneath that headline data to see not only how much is being said, but who's saying it, who we might want to reach out to to influence SOSV, also who we might want to reach out to to influence clinical decision-making. So thank you, Mike and Carlos, for joining us today. To learn more about how your organization can partner with Altmetric, visit altmetric.com. MAPS members, don't forget to subscribe. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Medical Affairs Professional Society podcast series, Elevate.